0: Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 56. This is the daily Bible reading. I don't know what you're doing as far as the daily Bible reading is concerned, whether you're reading a New Testament passage, Old Testament passage, Psalms and Proverbs, the whole thing, whether you've chosen just the Old Testament, whether you've chosen just the New Testament, I don't know. But we want to go through the Bible, and in the process, we want to see how the Lord can graciously move in our lives and in the lives of our families, and in the lives of the church. After we, after we uh, do this, we're going to do the prayer invitation at the at the end of the service. We're going to do the prayer invitation, and we're going to ask you to pray for loved ones and friends, and, and hopefully it'll be a little bit more meaningful as we, we do that, okay? So, uh, so we'll, we'll do that. Um, Luke chapter 12, verses 54 and following. Then he Then he is Jesus. Then he also said to the multitudes, to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather and there is. And you and I can relate to this because we look at the signs, the weather signs, and we know when a storm is coming, we know when it's gonna get warm. I don't think we're nearly as uh, equipped to do this as Native Americans were and maybe still are. I don't know because we depend upon the guy in the weather station uh, to tell us what's coming. But uh, we discern the weather by looking at the signs, and feeling what's going on. Some people will tell you, I know, my, I know that it's going to rain because I, my arthritis is acting up. And uh, those are things that we can do. Now, Jesus is talking to the multitudes, and I must say to you that it's a mixed multitude. If you want to know who the multitude is composed of, just go back to the beginning of chapter 12 and look at the fact that he first addresses his disciples. Then in verse 13, he addresses one from the crowd. Then he addresses all of them together. He go back, he goes back and addresses his disciples within that crowd in verse 22. Uh, Peter then talks to him personally. And then he addresses this multitude, which no doubt is made up of lots of people, some of them believers, some of them unbelievers, some of them Jewish, some of them Gentile. Some of them rich, some of them poor, some of them country folk, some of them city folk. And so Jesus is addressing quite a few people. Now, when he says to them in verse 54 and 55, when you see a cloud or you see the south wind blowing, you can tell certain things about that. He's done that before. He has done that before. For instance, go back to Matthew chapter 16 for just a second, and you'll see a second example of that. Only this time he isn't using clouds, and he isn't using the south wind. In verse 2, when he is talking to Pharisees and Sadducees, a religious group who are trying to test him, he answers and says to them, In verse two, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. You see that? Now his response to those are gonna be identical in this passage and also in the one that we're looking at. But I want you to notice what it says in chapter 16, verse one. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came and tested him asking him that he would show them a sign from heaven. We need a sign. We need something from heaven to prove what you're saying, Lord. Now, I want you to follow with me just a little bit on this whole idea of signs for just a second. You'll remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, when they begged him for a sign or prodded him with a sign, that Jesus' ultimate answer to them was, no, the only sign you're going to get is Jonah in the well for three days and three nights. That's it. The only sign you're going to have is the sign of Jonah. So if you want to understand what I'm saying, you're going to have to go back to the Old Testament. You're going to have to read the book of Job, and you're going to have to understand that it's linked. The information in that book is linked with my ministry, my life, my death, and my resurrection. That's the implication of that. So keep that in mind. But I want you to, I want, I, I want you to think about this sign thing for just a second. When Jesus was born, the angel said to Mary, or to the shepherds, shall I say, out in the fields washing their their flocks by night, um, you're going to find this babe in the city of Bethlehem, and you'll know who this baby is because of why. He will be what? wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You're not going to see him in a house. You're not going to see him in a hospital. You're going to see him in a stable, in a manger. And the angel said, this is your sign. The manger and the swaddling clothes is your sign. Now, I want you to go to chapter 11 of Luke. And uh, I'm trying to stay in Luke with this for the most part. But in chapter 11 of Luke, the Bible tells us that once again, the people want a sign. And in chapter 11, verse 16, the Bible says that Jesus, who had just cast out a demon, the Bible says that some of them thought he cast them out by Beelzebub, verse 15. And others said, well, we need a sign from heaven. Lord, we saw what you did. We don't know whether to believe you or not. Give us a sign from heaven and we'll know for sure. Now, I can imagine what they were thinking. They were maybe thinking about the Old Testament where Elijah called down fire from heaven. He's on the top of Mount Carmel. He has challenged the 400 prophets of Baal and he said whosoever god can call down whoever can, whose god can 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 uh, split the rocks with fire from heaven and ignite the sacrifice that's the god and the prophets of baal accepted him on the challenge and they they marched around and danced around all day practically and nothing happened and then Elijah steps up and he calls down fire from heaven. And God gives that wonderful sign. I can imagine that they were asking for something like that. Lord, uh, Lord, Lord could have said, well, how about a storm at sea? And I calm the storm. A lot of them would say, well, Lord, we didn't see that. We weren't there. Well, how about the miracles where I've healed people from their infirmities and their diseases and their sicknesses? Well, Lord, maybe they'd have got better anyway. I could just see all of the excuses. We want something that's so dramatic. We want something that's so clear for us to see that there's no way in the world we would deny it. I think it's quite clear that Jesus would have probably said to them, it doesn't make any difference what happens. I can split the heavens open. And you'll still deny it. You'll still come up with some other rationale. And Jesus said, listen, the only sign you're going to get is Noah or Jonah in the well. That's the only sign you're going to get. Now, I I want you to um, try to apply this. But before we do, let's go to Luke chapter 21 and sit there for just a second. Now, I, I, I want you to know what the passage of scripture is all about. Jesus has entered the city of Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. He is spending the week there teaching in the temple. And the Bible tells us that while he's in the temple, he predicts the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. In chapter 21, the Bible says, then as some of them spoke of the temple, verse 5, how, is it, how it was adorned and how beautiful it was and, and how you know, Herod, King Herod has spent 30-some years building the temple, redoing it, making it into one of the wonders of the ancient world. It would have been the eighth wonder of the ancient world if you had to check the travel logs in that day and age for the people coming to Jerusalem to see that magnificent temple. It was incredible. The visitors was unimaginable. But the point is that Jesus says, these things which you see, the days will come, verse 6, which one one stone will be left upon another. They'll all be thrown down. And so they asked him, and here's the thing in seven. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take? And he begins to give them many signs. And no doubt to the Jewish people, they were depressing things signs of war, false teaching. And the destruction of Jerusalem is actually described in verses 20 through 24. And we know that the Roman Empire actually destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., shortly following the life of Christ. Now, think about signs for just a second. If I, you know, when I was trying to think of how to illustrate this for you and how important signs are to us, I want you to think of a sign of a different kind, all right? It's a perfect illustration, though, a sign of a different kind. You see, we're talking about something that we're asking for that precedes an event or a condition or a situation so that we know what's ahead. So on Chestnut Ridge, we have Route 40 that goes up over Chestnut Ridge and Route 31 that goes up over Chestnut Ridge here. And we know that if you're on the top of the mountain and you're coming down the mountain, before you get to the peak of the mountain, you see this big sign, And you see another one down at Route 40. And it shows you what the road looks like. And it gives you enough information for you to understand that the condition that is being described, the situation that you're going to face in the next few moments is going to be really critical if you have no brakes, Right? Really serious if you're not paying attention. And God forbid if it's so foggy you can't see a foot in front of you. See, that's a sign of a different kind, but you see it, it, it's a good description of what we're talking about. You and I depend upon those signs. They're important. They're valuable. We want to know what's up ahead. And the question I asked in the bulletin today was uh, can we have how good you are at figuring out what's going to happen, what's on the horizon? You see, but the interesting thing is that when Jesus said what he said in Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 12, which I'll just go back to that one, when Jesus said what he said to them, You know what was in their minds. And Jesus came back and said to them in verse 56, hypocrites, you people pretending, pretending to be something that you're not, pretending to know things you don't know. You are hypocrites because you are okay when you want to discover what the weather is going to be like. Isn't that what he's saying there? You discern the face of the sky and the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? How is it that you can't figure out what's going to happen in the future? How come you can't figure out what's down the road? Now, there's a very simple application to this, you see. Number one, we study the weather to discern what's going to happen. Rain, sunshine, sunshine whatever. But the application to this is really this. We study the Bible to discern the times, the future. Where is history going? Where are nations going? Where is the world going? That's clearly what he's doing here, you see. How many times has he he been frustrated? No doubt more than what we have written for us in the scriptures, frustrated with those who claim to be religious leaders who don't know anything about the scriptures. Now, I don't mean that. Obviously, they knew lots of facts and they knew lots of things that were described in the Bible, but they couldn't put it together to figure out what God's plan and purpose is down the road through history they couldn't do it. Are you and I faithful? Are we able to do it? Listen, it doesn't happen unless we study the Bible. It doesn't happen unless we study scripture. It doesn't happen unless we understand that God has a plan and purpose for this world. And it's not just left up to us to determine what we want to do and how we want the outcome of things to be. It's not that way. So, when someone says to you, oh, I, would, I wish the Lord would just come down into the heavens and give me a sign, I'll give them the Bible and say, hey, here's the roadmap map right here. Here are the signs of the top of the hills. Here's to show you what's coming ahead. Here's to show you the dangers you're going to be dealing with. This book is what you need. So, look at the passage of Scripture that we chose today, all right? Now, um, let's go to chapter 11. And what I want to do is I want us to try to apply this in a greater way. If you're reading the Daily Bible reading and you go to chapter 11 and you're reading chapter 11, you're going to find out that Jesus gives to us the model prayer. The disciples ask him to teach them to pray. And Jesus says to his disciples, in chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, he asked them, and Jesus says to them, when you pray, say now we can do this let's let's all do this if you can do it from memory i'm reading from the new king james version of the bible let's read the prayer that jesus gave as a model prayer to his disciples our father who are our, our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins debts or trespasses doesn't matter For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in the book of Matthew, for thine is the power of the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. And the church has used that as a model prayer for thousands of years, since since, uh, Jesus gave it to us as a model prayer. And rightfully so. Now, in chapter 11, verses 5 through 8 then, Jesus adds to that. And he says to them in verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And the person in the house, who's, all the lights are off now, and everybody's in bed, and he doesn't want to get up for anybody at that late hour, and he says to his friend, go away, I'll get you what you need in the morning. And the guy says, I need it now, and he keeps knocking, and he keeps knocking, and he keeps knocking, and he keeps knocking. And the Bible says that Jesus says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, verse 8, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So Jesus gives us a model prayer. We build on that. And then he tells us that you the add the need to add the ingredients of persistence. You need to knock and knock and knock and knock and never stop. And never stop. The application is given in verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. And the implication obviously is going to be that if you believe that God is a good God and he loves his children, he's going to give his children what his children want him to give. Does that mean we always get our prayers answered the way we want? Absolutely not. We understand that. But I think that we ought to say this for sure, that a lot of us don't get nearly the prayers answered we could because we don't knock and knock and knock and keep knocking. So in application to the persistence, he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. And you know, I very rarely ever use Greek in the pulpit. The language in which the New Testament was written, I very rarely ever use it. But you even have a heading there in your Bible, probably, at least if you have a new King James Version, that says you need to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, because keep knocking, that's exactly what it means in the original language. You don't just go and ask once, twice, three times, four times. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. And in verse 10, he gives you that wonderful, wonderful promise that God is a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. You need to come and you need to ask. Well, you read this before you read Discerning the Times, and then when you get to the passage of scripture in chapter 12, and there are a couple of others as well, but when you get to the passage of scripture in 12, then you have have a basis for hope. when you want to navigate what is going on down the road, what's going to happen down the road, you've got a basis for hope. What are we allowed to ask for? Number one, for God's kingdom to come. Now, there's a lot of hope in asking for that. There's a lot of joy in knowing that God's kingdom is coming. And we are to pray that it will come, even though God has promised it. We are to pray that it will come. What? For our benefit, for our hope, for our joy, for our confidence. The day is coming when Jesus is going to come. He's going he's to come in the clouds and he's going to he's return to this earth and he will set, ultimately set up his kingdom on this earth and we will live here in righteousness, no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering. Our bodies will be resurrected or we will be changed. Those of us who are living will be changed and our bodies will be transformed. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic, fantastic event. What else are we allowed to pray for? We're allowed to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can't go wrong by praying for the Lord's will. No matter what I see around me, I can't go wrong. We're allowed to pray for daily bread. That would include our jobs, um, maybe where we live. It would include a lot of things when we pray for our daily bread. And we are to pray for God's forgiveness. It's qualified. It's going to happen to you in the same amount, in the same way that you forgive others. If you can't forgive others, you shouldn't even bother coming and asking. For forgiveness, that's implied clearly in that passage of Scripture. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And then finally, in verse 5, we're to pray, and this is where it really, really connects with the passage today. In verse 5, in in number 5, in that prayer, the Bible says that we are to pray that the Lord would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Now you think about that for a second. We know that God does not tempt anybody to sin. It does not happen. We know that God does not put you in a situation where you're likely to sin because he has planned it all out and uh, it's designed, you you know, like entrapment. You've heard of entrapment? There's no such thing as entrapment as far as God is concerned. So one of the best ways I know to look at this is look at the second line before you look at the first line where it says, do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. What would that mean? Delivering us from the evil one, Lord, would mean that you would not allow us to fall into the hands of evil or the devil that you would not lead us into evil situations where we will be tempted to sin and unable to have victory. It's not the time to say, bring it on. I'm a strong Christian. Bring it on. I don't care what the road looks ahead. I don't care what's going to happen. Bring it on. You know, Billy Sunday was an evangelist and when he would preach. He was one of the greatest, he was known as one of the most famous evangelists in America. And he got so disgusted when he would preach, when he would would, would think about the devil, that he would pound the pulp, he would pound the floor and say, Devil, come up and get what you got coming to you. Not too many preachers ever did that, but Billy Sunday did. Billy Sunday did. We're to pray for all of these things. And with a study of God's word to discern the times, where do you think that puts us? In a very good place. It puts us in a very good place. So it doesn't make any difference what the challenges are. It doesn't make any difference what the circumstances may be. We are in a very good place when we can observe the signs and we can be in touch with our Heavenly Father in prayer for things like that which Jesus said we are to pray for. Now go to Luke chapter 18, we're going to close now. Go to Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, I'm not going to I'm not going to look at the the parable that Jesus gives. It's the parable of the judge, it's another parable on persistence to pray. But this lady keeps asking the judge for justice and uh, He doesn't, he's not inclined to do it. He's not a good judge. He's not inclined to do it, but he eventually does it because she won't stop asking. But I want you to see verse 1, 18, verse 1. When he spoke a parable to them, he spoke it that men always ought to pray. And if you, and and what happens, you see, because it's implied, what he says next is implied with that first statement. Men always ought to pray so that we can what? Not what? Lose heart so that we don't have to lose heart. Peter, night of Jesus' betrayal, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you know, I want you to know something. Remember this? Satan has desired to take you and sift you like wheat. I'm wondering at that time whether Peter said to himself, Man, you know, we've been praying, Lord, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. I wonder if that popped into his mind. But you remember what Jesus said to him. Peter, I want you to know I've prayed for you. So that your faith will not fail. I prayed for you that your faith will not fail.